want to uh, um, speak from a few different verses, thinking about, uh, like we were saying earlier, all that we got to witness and experience um, at the funeral this past week. Um, the Lord has just been rehearsing some more things in my mind, and I want to talk about worship today, and um, I think I want to start here in Psalms 150, verse 6. When I was just uh, probably 10, and around that age, it was late 80s, early 90s, um, a new movement came over the contemporary Christian um, sphere called praise and worship. And now, then and now, it's it's kind of hung around as what you might even call a genre of music, right? I'm sure you've heard the term praise and worship music. Um, and that's great. That's fine. I have no problems with that. I love music. I love worship. I love praise. Uh, I also love the Word of God, and I love when we get to hear from Him uh, His Word and what it means to us. So I want to just talk a little bit today about this. Psalm 150, verse 6 says, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Let everything, everybody say everything. Everything that has breath praise the Lord. Not let the most holy Christians praise the Lord. Not let the ones that go to church every week praise the Lord. <laughs> Not let the ones that are feeling well today praise the Lord. Not any of that. It says everything that has breath praise the Lord. Look at verse 2, if you will, here. Psalm 150, uh, David was a psalmist, and he wrote praise songs, and he wrote, wrote worship songs to the Lord. Praise him for his mighty acts. Now, Think about that for just a minute. Th it means he has done mighty acts or mighty actions. He's done wonderful, great things. And so since he has, praise him for that. Right? That's what it says. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. So... He is great. He is excellent. He has excellent greatness. And since he does, praise him, but not just praise him because he's excellent and great. Praise him according to. That means in conjunction with or to the same degree as. Praise him to the same degree as he is Great. See, we have, this, we have commandment from Scripture to praise God. If you're alive, everybody take a breath. Okay, that's everything that has breath in here. And the Scripture says, all that has breath, praise Him. Praise Him. To praise God. Praise is an action. It's actually multiple actions. Praises are 
actions. And if you look through in the, in the uh, Old Testament, you see praise and you see it in many different ways. Uh, one of them is singing. That's an action, right? We can sing as a form of praise. Now, if you put that in this, praise him, sing, let everything that has breath sing. Oh, hang on. We don't want to go there. <laughs> I don't know. Some of you might not want to hear me sing. I don't know if I want to hear all of you sing. I'm just kidding. But sing and then sing according to his excellent greatness. Another, it's an action, right? Praise is an action. Another one is dance. <laughs> Let everything that has breath dance to him. Let everything that has breath sing to him. Dance, but don't just dance. Dance because of his mighty actions. Dance according to his excellent greatness. You probably heard this. Dance, you know, sing like nobody's listening and dance like nobody's watching. In your home, I am all for that. No, in, in the house of worship, we call this the house of worship. And here we do, we sing and we dance and we, we I think it's verse 1 here, it says praise him in the sanctuary. Praise him in the sanctuary. There, there is always a scriptural precedent to give praise to God when you come to the church building. You know what, though? There's also, because this is a sanctuary, but you know you can make your bedroom a sanctuary, your living room, your kitchen, your house, your car. You can make that a sanctuary because when His holy presence comes in and resides in a place, that is now His sanctuary. And what do you do in His sanctuary? You praise Him, singing, dancing, shouting is another one. Shouting. Shouting. Shout according to his excellent greatness. Playing music. David had the harp with him. And he would, so, so he kind of, he, he, he was, uh, I don't know, I think the Lord was favorable to him because the term Praise that translates to music is actually the word pluck. Pluck, which is, you know, if you're playing a harp, that's what you do to the string. Or if you're playing a guitar, that's what you do to the string. You pluck it. So pluck according to his excellent greatness. I think if David would have been the drummer boy, it probably would have been beat. Beat according to his excellent, but but it, we we get that's why we do music, and I don't I'm not reading all of that chapter, but David lists instruments. Praise him on this instrument, praise him on this instrument, let, and let everything that has breath. Another one is to boast or to brag. Just talking about how great he is. We do that in our songs a lot. You know, we've got these, these songs that, that are worship and praise songs to God. And they talk about how there is nobody like him. How there's none beside him. How he is great. All these things. You are excellent. You know, you're mighty. Those are boasting. 
and that is praising. We're praising when we sing about how great God is. Another one is to lift your hands. That is a word for praise. Lift your hands. Now, I'll just make a little side note here. I, 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 sorry, I can't help myself. This is in Psalms, which is in the Old Testament, which is before the man Jesus Christ was born on the earth, which definitely was before the day of uh, Pentecost and Acts when the Holy Ghost came on people and they began to speak with other tongues. We're going way far back. And, and a lot of people would like to say, well, I'm just not close enough to God or, you know, I, haven't, I don't have the Holy Ghost or I, I'm not living the way I should or, and, and use those in ex, as an excuse to not do any of these things. The, but what did the scripture say? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And we come to church and we think, well, I can't really lift my hands because I'm not doing like I should. Where's that in the Bible? Please. Another side of that is, if we're not careful, we'll look at other people and say, oh, they don't have the right to raise their hands because I know. Really, where's the scripture for that? Now, Paul said, I would that men everywhere lift up holy hands. So that fits in, in some degree, but it does not mean that if you don't have holy hands, you can't raise them. That doesn't fit with Psalms 150. Let everything praise the Lord and lift up holy hands and lift up unholy hands. I heard it put this way. You can go out and commit a sin and you, you take your pick. Go out there and do it, and you can come in here and, 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 and praise God, and you're still fulfilling Scripture. Not the one about the sin, but the one about the praising. Because it says, let everything praise the Lord. Now, as the elder, if I know a lot of that, and, and then I see, see it going, you know, somebody trying to come down here and, Oh, I'm, I can just, I can praise the Lord and I don't even have to live right. Woo! We'll deal with that. <laughs> but everything has the commandment to praise the Lord. Praise is about Him. Praise is about what He does and what He has done. So no matter what I'm going through, feeling, thinking, feeling like, none of I can just stop and think about something that he's done. Thank you, Lord, that I have these shoes. You're the provider. I don't have to go barefoot today. Praise the Lord. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He gave me a belt to hold my pants up. Thank the Lord. And everybody said amen. So, I, so I'm praising him because of what he's done. I'm praising him for his mighty actions. And you know, praise, it can bring a breakthrough sometimes. Oftentimes, really. 
Because when I praise, I get to go into another dimension of my relationship with him. And so if I'm not feeling the best, if I've had a bad week, or if I'm worried about the week that's about to happen, or any of those things, I can step outside of all of that and just start to praise him. How? By any one of those things. Sing, shout, dance, lift your hands, boast and brag about the Lord, and you're praising, and now you get your mind off of whatever that problem was, and you're praising the Lord. It brings a breakthrough. It's an expression of victory. Praise is an expression of victory. I have victory. Praise God. I clap my hands because I have victory, and that is an expression of it. I sing to the Lord. I do all these things because I'm expressing the fact that I have victory in Him. He has won the victory. That's a little bit about praise. That's just the surface of it, okay? But now you have an understanding of what praise is. It's these actions. Praise is an action. Look at, at Genesis chapter 22, verse 5. This is the first time we see the word worship in all of Scripture. Genesis chapter 22, verse 5. I want to tell you they're not the same thing and they're not synonymous, praise and worship. Because Genesis 22 and 5, the first time we see the word worship, Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. You stay here. They're at the bottom of the mountain. If you don't remember the story, God told Abraham, take your son, the one you love, your only son, and offer him as a sacrifice to me. And so Abraham starts the journey, and that's where we're reading here. He gets to the base of the mountain, and he tells those that traveled with him, you stay here. Me and my son are going to go up on this mountain, and we are going to worship. Everybody say worship. If they meant the same thing, if praise and worship meant the same thing, then Abraham and Isaac are going to go up there and sing and clap their hands and dance and shout. Woo! We're praising God. But that is not at all what they did. <laughs> We're going to get here in a minute. The Lord is trying to foreshadow for you. What they're do, going up to do is obey the commandment of God. Abraham knows when we get up there, I'm going to have to do some things that the Lord has already told me to do. But in doing it, I am worshiping the Lord. I'm going to go do what the Lord told me to do. Sacrifice my son. But he viewed it as worship. He viewed it as worship because he knows if, if I just go and obey what the Lord says, I, I, I don't know a lot of things. I don't know, I don't know how this is going to be pleasing to the Lord. I don't understand any of that. But I do know I'm obeying Him. And we're going to do things His way. Me and my son are going to go worship the Lord. 
Now jump to Matthew chapter 4, verse 9. I'm talking about worship. And in this aspect, now we're, that was the Old Testament, the very first time the word worship. I, I, sorry, I don't have time to get much more deep, deeper than what we're going today. We've got a lot to cover, even in this message. But that's worship. I'm going up to the mountain to worship. In Matthew 4, verse 9, Jesus is in the wilderness, and Satan is there with him, tempting him. That is the purpose of the wilderness from Satan's point, was to tempt Jesus. And in this verse he says, this is Satan speaking, saith unto him, all these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Satan is asking Jesus to worship him. There's a little clue in there when it says fall down. Fall down and worship me, because worship is not so much an action like praise is and the different things you do. It is a position. It's a posture. If you get down, if you fall down, I will know that you're worshiping me. So that's what Satan tells Jesus. Just get in the posture of worship to me. I'll give you all this. Next verse. Jesus says unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. It is written, Thou shalt worship. If, if he didn't even say the rest of what he says in the phrase there, that alone is really enough to convey the point that we're trying to make here is you can only worship God or something else, someone else. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now... <laughs> There wouldn't be such a thing as worship and serve music. But they are much more closely linked together in this passage than anything to do with praise. You see that? You should only worship the Lord and serve Him. The, uh, Jesus is saying, in other words, if I start to worship you, I'm going to be serving you you if I fall down at your feet if I get in the posture that says you're the one I'm worshiping I can't serve God worship's a posture and it's an attitude it's not an action I would actually put it this way. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship's a lifestyle. I live in the posture of worship to the Lord. I go to sleep in the posture of worship to the Lord, and I wake up the next morning spiritually worshiping in the posture of worship. And then throughout the day, I am in the posture of worship. 
Now, that doesn't mean I go to work like, oh. No, I, go, I get in my car and I put my foot on the pedal and I, my hands are on the wheel. So I'm talking about a spiritual posture. And you know why it's important to view it that way? Because when I get into that posture, I become very, very aware of anything that would take me out of that posture. Worship starts with acknowledging God as who He is. He is, as it's been said, our King. He's your king and he's my king. I have to, that is worship. I could, I could worship all day just going, you're my king, 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 you're my king. I'm worshiping. I'm reminding myself who he is, my king. You're my king, you're my king. And then you're, you're presented with an opportunity, and if you're not careful, you can slip outside of the worship into a different realm altogether of, dare I say, reality. Oh, you, you got to stop worshiping for a little bit because you got to focus on the job. You got to stop worshiping for a little bit because you need to have this really important conversation or discussion or an important piece of mail came today and you got to read it. So you can't be, you're my kinging and reading at the same time. Oh, yes, I can. Here's why, because I know which one is more important. You're my king, you're my king. I'm reading the message. Oh, it's good news. Thank you. You're my king. You're my king, you're my king. I'm reading the message. Oh, it's bad news. You're my king. What do I do with this bad news? You're my king. I'm worshiping. It's a posture. It's an attitude. It's about my relationship. Worship is about my relationship with him. It's when I know my place. I'm praising him because of his mighty actions. You know, I can praise him just as much for what he's done for you as what he's done for me. Because if you get up and you testify, the Lord healed me. The Lord saved me. I can praise God right with you. Because he did that. And so I'm praising him according to his mighty actions. But you know what? You can witness to me and tell me, the Lord is my king. And I worship him. And I give my whole life to him. I can't just join worshiping by saying, all right, he's your king. He's your king. He's done great things for you, and he's your king. And we'll worship him because he's your king. No. It doesn't work that way. I can't worship your king. I can only, by definition, I can only worship my king, my Lord, what's most important to me in my life. I can only bow down before the thing that I worship. And so that's why I'm always reminding myself in the state of worship, I know who you are, I know who I am, Lord. 
You're my king. I'm reminding myself daily, my relationship with you, my relationship with you, it all hinges on you in that role and me in this role. I want to put it this way. Praise and worship complement one another. They complement one another. To us, they go together. To us. Because a worshiper cannot help but praise. A, wor a worshiper, they don't leave worship to start praising. You're my king. You're my king. You reign. You reign. You're in charge. I'm just the worshiper. And you have done so many great things for me. I'm acknowledging you as the source of all that I have. And I'm thanking you for it. And you know what? I'm just transitioning to praise because I'm a worshiper, because I know who you are, because I know my place and my role in you is just a worshiper. And so everything that I do that's praise is based on that relationship, that understanding of who you are. A worshiper can't help but praise because acknowledging who God is because acknowledging who God is comes out through expressions of what he's done. I, if, I can't tell you about all that he is without telling you about all that he's done. You got, a, you got a little introduction to my, to my friend Anthony today. None of you have ever met him. I can't tell you who he is without telling you what he's done. He, he, he wrote these awesome songs. He was a great musician. And he, he did. See, I'm telling you, he did, he did, he did. These are all of his actions. So by telling you his actions, I'm telling you who he is. It's the same with the Lord. You know, the Lord is the one that helps me every day. He's my strength. He gave me peace. He gave me a healing. And so that's why he is to me who he is. First Samuel chapter 15. First Samuel chapter 15. Let's start at verse 2. I'm going to try to get through this chapter quickly. I want you to see this. What we're talking about with worship and who God is and whether he's in charge or not, we see it played out in this passage. I, I'm sure many of you have heard this story before. It's the story of King Saul. He's told to go and smite the Amaleks. 
a nation. It's an unholy nation that, that God is against. And so he gives this instruction. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Completely, utterly destroy. That is the instruction. The prophet Samuel is giving these words to King Saul. It's the instruction of the Lord, Saul. Go do this. Jump down to verse 7. And so Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Everybody say alive. Where was the instruction for that? Where was the provision for that? No, it was utterly destroy everything, right? Utterly destroy everything. All of it. Man and woman. Is he a man? Yeah, he's a man. But I'm going to save him. Now, I'm going to give, uh, I'm going to try. I would try to give Saul a pass because there are other times where against other nations, the instruction was kill everyone except the king and save that king and bring him out for these other things. So Saul, if he's just trying to, to, to go off of what he's done before, he could say, all right, we did it all. We followed the instruction. In fact, let's keep reading. Verse 8, he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep. Oh, now it's not even just the king. The best of the sheep and of the ox. Why? Well, there's been times in the past that the Lord has told us when you win the battle, save the best sheep, save, save the best oxen, and go sacrifice them. I want, you know, the Lord can wake up every day and decide what he wants that day. He might have, he might have has, had his eyes on the sheep and the oxen of another nation and said, okay, I'd like those as a sacrifice for me. So when you go to that nation and destroy them, save the best sheep. Save the best oxen because we can have some really good sacrifices. Save the king because we're going to do this, you know, oh, I don't want to get that graphic today. We'll, we'll, we'll keep this PG. Well, <laughs> We'll, we'll, we'll save the king and spare him because we're going to do some other things to him later. And, and that's, that's what the Lord felt like that day. But this day, he woke up and he said, utterly destroy everything and everyone. I don't want a stitch remaining. Nothing of the Amalekites. So, but again, verse 9, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen, and of all he saved it all. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they utterly destroyed. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, Okay, we're, we're jumping spiritually from the actions that took place there at the battle to over where Samuel is, and the Lord is going to talk to him. He says, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. 
for he has turned back from following me. He's he used to follow me. When I made him king, he was following me. He was obeying me. Everybody say obey. He was obeying me. And he hath, hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. Verse 13. Samuel came to Saul and said unto him, Blessed be thou the... And Saul said... Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Wrong. I'll just tell you this. Approaching the men of God in your lives in honesty is very important. I would even, I, I'll put it this way. He didn't even approach Samuel. Samuel approached him. So responding to the man of God that God puts in your life in honesty is very important. But what's Saul doing? He's being human and he's saying, I'm going to get ahead of this thing. I'm going to control the news. Samuel, welcome. We won the victory. And I did what was commanded of me. Thank you. See you later. I'm going out of here. <laughs> Verse 14, And Samuel said, What meaneth this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears? You didn't take any sheep into battle with you. They don't fight very well. So, if I'm hearing sheep, it's, I didn't bring any with me. You didn't have any with you to start with. So I'm hearing something and I'm starting to wonder. I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at the evidence that's all around you and saying, none of this matches your story. Oh, pastor, I'm doing so good this week. Really? Why doesn't the evidence match your story? I'm not trying to be mean. That's not today. What means the ble this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. They, they, they. They've brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep. You know, remember like what we did over there in, you know, that other nation when we spared the best sheep and the best. That's all they did. They just, they just kept those alive for a good offering, a good sacrifice. They spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Verse 17, Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, hear me please, this is a very key verse in what we're talking about today. We're talking about worship, remember? When you were little in your own sight, God made you king. When you were little in your own sight, when you had the proper view of yourself, the Lord said, I can use that. That person, that man, that woman knows who I am and who they are. 
I can use that. They have worship in their heart. They have a posture of worship. They have the attitude that says, I'm nothing and you're everything. The Lord's saying, I can use that. That's what Samuel's reminding Saul. Jump down for sake of time to verse 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? You know, I don't doubt that Saul, somewhere in the back of Saul's mind, he's remembering how awesome the sacrifices were from other nations. And he's thinking, man, we had a great time. Yeah, we, like, we, we sacrifice our own sheep and our, we follow that. But, ooh, there's just something about when you get to take the best of another city, of another nation, and give that to your God and worship. Oh, it was just so wonderful. We just thought the Lord would like it if we did that again. Excuses, excuses. Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. I'm going to remind you, Abraham took his son and said, we're going to go up the mountain to worship. Because I know I'm going to go up there and obey. I'm going to go do what the Lord told me to do. And so obedience, obedience. You don't have to obey to praise. I tried to make that as clear as I could at the beginning. You don't have to. You don't have to obey to praise. You can do what you want out there. And then you come in here, and while we're singing and worshiping and praising God, you can just join right in, clap the hands, lift, dance, all that, sing, and, and, and you're praising. You don't have to obey to do that. But if you want to live under a king in his kingdom, you better obey. You have to obey, or he's really not your king. Hath the Lord the same delight? No, he doesn't. Because Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken, to listen, is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Let me just make this point really quickly. If you have rebellion in your heart, you cannot be a worshiper. I'm just letting that sink in. If I have rebellion, any kind, any form, any way, because rebellion is going against authority. Worship is acknowledging authority. They don't go together. If you, you can't have rebellion in your heart and be a worshiper of God. And then at, what does it say? Stubbornness is as, is as iniquity and idolatry. You can't even be stubborn and be a worshiper. What is stubborn? Uh, I'll do it, but I don't like it. I don't want to. Uh, 
You can't fool me. I've got enough children to know when the stubbornness is creeping up. Give your brother a hug. No, not like that. What do you mean? I hugged him. Yeah, but you did it stubbornly. I want to see the love. Fine. That's what it says. Stubbornness is as iniquity. If you're... (laughs) Iniquity is doing the wrong thing, okay? Iniquity is you're not following, you're not obeying. Iniquity, we equate that to sin. Stubbornness is as sin. As an, so you can do the right thing the wrong way, and it's still iniquity. And you can't do that and be a worshiper. Let me finish our story. Because I'm still in verse 23. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. When you were little in your own eyes, the Lord made you king. When When the Lord saw somebody that would obey and revere and follow the Lord said I can make that a king and I can make him an awesome he was the first king of Israel you know that Saul was the the Lord's looking okay I've got to give him a king I'm going to give him a good one I'm going to find one I found this guy he's small in his own eyes that means he's got a proper view of himself a proper understanding and under of who he is in relationship to me I can use that and I can make him king But when you reject the Lord, it says, He hath also rejected thee from being king. Verse 24, And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord. I didn't obey. And thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin. I just want you to watch this. I'm almost done. Stay with me. Now, therefore... Pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. You see where he's wanting to go back to. He's wanting to go back to a place of worship. I'm acknowledging my sin, my transgression. I didn't obey. I gave in to the voice of the people. I did what they wanted instead of what the Lord wanted. Turn back with me that I can worship the Lord. Verse, Verse 30 Uh, Let's keep reading there, sorry. Verse 27, Samuel turned about to go away, and he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle. So, in other words, please go back with me so I can worship the Lord. The the prophet was the link to Saul's worship. You see that? He, He couldn't just... All right, you're, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm going to repent, I'm going to go back and worship. No, I've got to have the man of God with me. I've got to have the prophet with me. He represented the right relationship to worship God. That's who Samuel was to Saul. 
Go with me. I need to be in the right standing. If I go back, the, the people already know, Samuel. They saw you coming. They know we're in here talking. And they know if I go back out alone, or if you go back out alone, they'll know something's wrong. They're, they will know you're not happy. Which means God's not happy. They'll know, they'll see it. So just go back with me and we'll go back and worship the Lord. Saul, uh, Samuel turned to go to leave and Saul pleads and he, he grabs his robe, his mantle, and it ripped, it rent. That's how desperate Saul is to get back to this place. Please don't leave. And he grabs a hold of the, the mantle and it rips. Samuel says, the Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent. That's another way of saying God, by the way. The strength of Israel is God. Also, God will not lie or repent. For he is not a man that he should repent. Verse 30, then he said, Saul said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before, the, and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. So Samuel turned again after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. What I see here, when we've got rebellion, or when we've even got stubbornness, what we have there is self. I would say an idol of self. Me, mine, my way, my will. That is the greatest hindrance to worship. My will. To worship. I'm not talking about to praise. There are very few, if any, hindrances to praise. But I'm showing you, the Lord is showing us the difference in praise and worship. Praise I can do at any time under any condition. Worship I can only do in one condition. In one posture. That's putting myself down. Bowing. And putting him on the throne as king. When I do that, I'm worshiping. When I don't, I can praise till I'm blue in the face. But I'm not worshiping. Why don't you stand with me? I want to be a worshiper. I... I, I I'm not even going to put it that way. I have to be a worshiper. Because it's not I want. It's not my will. 
If we're talking about my will and we're talking about self and we're talking about the hindrance to worship and I say, I want to be a worshiper, I, that's my choice. I want, you know why? Because I want everybody else to know I'm a worshiper. I want everybody else to know, whew, I've got my stuff together and me and the Lord are like this. There is no room for that. In, in worship, in true worship. To worship is a posture and it's an attitude. And it's not reserved for church time. In fact, church time just becomes a simple expression of my worship, the way that I'm living, my posture and my position with the Lord. I want to give you an opportunity here today. The, the Lord is here. His Spirit is here in this room. We have this opportunity to respond, to get things right, to acknowledge Him as who He is, and enter into worship. Can we do that together? Let's pray. This altar is open. I'm encouraging you find a place to worship the Lord.
Praise the Lord, everybody. In the prayer room, the Lord gave me Psalms 100, and it spoke about everything the pastor spoke about. And I'm going to read the psalm, and the Lord showed me these are commandments. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. That is a commandment of God. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Commandment of God. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Another commandment. That's a commandment to know he is God. Remember, enter into his courts with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Commandment. For the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generation and never runs out. And I'm going to close with prayer. Lord Jesus, I close this service, but Lord, not out of your presence. Thank you for this message. Thank you for your, your awesome presence, God. It just goes on and on and on and on. Your mercy, it's your mercy. We're not consumed because of your mercy. Thank you, Lord. You give us another chance to posture ourselves in your presence. Thank you, God. And I pray for this service. And as I dismiss, God, bless everyone as they go. Help this message to be cemented and inscribed in their very being that it would go with them and that would continue the posture of praise and worship. In Jesus' name, amen.